Amen. Start off with a little story, a little humorous story. A woman woke up one day in bed with her husband. And she rolled over and she said to him, she said, Honey, I had the most dramatic dream last night. In the dream, you bought me a brand new gold necklace. What do you think it means? I, I don't know, I don't know, darling, but Valentine's Day is coming up and soon you'll know. So a few days pass and she wakes up again in bed with her husband. She turns to him and says, Darling, this time I had another dream and in it you gave me a brand new pearl necklace. What do you think it means? Uh, just be patient. Valentine's Day is coming. You'll, you'll know then. So finally, it's the morning of Valentine's Day. Again, she wakes up. She grabs his hand. This time, it was the most spectacular dream ever, darling. I dream you gave me a brand new diamond necklace. What do you think it means? Just, just be patient. Wait until tonight. So he comes home. It's Valentine's Eve. And he presents her with this beautifully wrapped package. She draws it to her chest and she is thrilled and she opens the package and inside she finds a book titled The Meaning of Dreams. <laughs> Today's passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6 doesn't particularly sound like the American dream. There is great pain and godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Really? Will we? The ads all over Miami beg to differ. The latest fashion. The latest the latest club, the latest car, the latest cuisine, the latest romantic partner, the latest gadget, the latest surgery are always constantly on offer here. Whether you were walking Lincoln Road, or sitting cozy in the gables, or making your purchase at one of the great local temples to consumerism, such as the Aventura Mall. It seems that back in Timothy's time, and we're going back 2,000 years, that's a lot of rewind. 2,000 years back, it seems that in Timothy's time, there were some religious teachers who got this idea that they could scam people using religion. Imagine that. And actually the scam worked pretty good for these swindling religious teachers. They made money. The people they stole from, no, not so much. And enters the Apostle Paul, the first and greatest missionary of Christianity, and he condemns these swindling religious teachers as betraying the gospel of Jesus. And he writes to him, Timothy, his protege in the ministry, and here's what the Apostle Paul says. But those fall into temptation, and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge 
the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Ouch! Ouch! That's a pretty forceful passage. If you agree, say amen. Now this passage, folks, contains one of the most misquoted Bible verses of all time. Da-da-da-da, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 reads, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So try it with me, we'll do it in three parts. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice it doesn't say that the love of money is the root of all evil. Notice the verse also doesn't say that money by itself is the root of all evil. What is it? It says that the love of money. Whew, that's a relief. Right, and the metrics are better. We don't know anybody who loves money, right? There's nobody who loves money. There's nobody who would say something, for example, like, greed is good. But St. Paul tells Timothy to not pursue that racket. Don't get into what the swindling teachers are doing. But instead, pursue righteousness, faith, and fight the good fight of the faith. In other words, the Apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy to pursue a better dream. A better dream. A dream inspired by God. A dream where the rich men of the world befriend the Lazaruses of the world. A dream where your life counts. Not because of the currency counted in your account, but because of the love you give to God and neighbor. A dream where you give yourself to the things that will last. The things that will endure. Faith. Family. Friends. A dream where you don't give yourself to the accumulation of a bunch of useless stuff. I don't know, maybe you've done that already. And giving yourself to all the circular activity that gets you nowhere in life. A dream inspired by God that includes the words of this great visionary preacher, words that we still need today in this city and everywhere and I quote these words that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character if you agree that we still need that dream say amen God is urging you to find a better dream God is urging you to pursue a better now, you may already have a dream in your life. But check this out. God's dream is always more surprising, more wonderful, and more impactful than any dream that you or I could concoct up by ourselves alone. And God's dream requires all sorts of people to realize we will need some folks who are older. We need your experience. 
We need your, we need your practical know-how. We need your lessons from dreams realized and dreams lost. And pursuing God's dream will require some of you that are younger. We need your energy. We need your zeal. We need your vision to do things that past generations said was impossible. Notice I was nice to you. You get to choose which category you fit into there. The older or the younger. Just don't ask the person next to you which category you should fit into. Every Christian is called to be a dreamer. Every Christian is called to be a practical dreamer. Turn to your neighbor and say, practical dreamer. Don't be shy, I won't fight you, I don't think. A practical dreamer. So will you join God and God's people around the world to pursue this dream? If so, raise your hand. If so, say, I will with God's help. I will Great, some of us are willing. But how do we put God's dream into practice? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us. He says it very plainly. Did you hear it the first time? And if you did, I can read you anyway. The Apostle Paul says, For those who in this present age command them not to be haughty, but depend upon God, who richly provides us everything we need for our enjoyment, and to be rich in good works. And I love this part at the end of this, verse 19, where Paul says that they may take hold of the life that really is life. I don't know about you, but that means that there's a lot of people out there who are taking hold of something that really isn't life. There's a lot of that going on. Holding on to stuff that really is not life. Bible quiz. You help me figure out this verse. Jesus famously said, you can't serve God and man. Or, what's the updated version of that? Money. can't serve God and money. But you can serve God with money. You can serve God with money. And as St. Paul tells us in this passage, you can be rich in good works. How are you spending your dollars? Are you spending them for the common good? Or are you spending them for selfish greed? If someone were to view your account, what would it tell them? And are you slaving away at a job just to pile up the dough? Is that what you're doing? Are you working away at a job? Hopefully the job makes some difference in the world, but let's just talk financially. Hopefully you're doing that to provide for yourself and for others. And others does not just mean your family. So that you and they could embrace this passage from God's Word, particularly chapter 6, verse 6. We brought nothing into the world, so we can, can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. This is a dream for all of God's people. doesn't matter whether you support Trump, whether you support Clinton, or whether you're fed up with the whole process. If you've been fed up, at some point during this election cycle, say, oh yeah. Oh. But sincere and intelligent Christians, as well as other people of goodwill, will disagree about economic policy at times.
But if you're a Christian, regardless of your party affiliation, regardless of your denomination, Catholic, Protestant, whatever, you must agree and you must pursue the necessity of being rich in good works toward all. And you must challenge policies and structures that allow us to go to the high-rises and the high-end homes, but then just a short drive down the street, we run into the challenges of a Liberty City or Miami Gardens. We have to challenge that if we are to be Christians. And if you are living closer to the high end of the street, and you never look back across town to those who are struggling, and you never give any consideration to the beggars, the homeless that you are passing on the street, then you are not living God's dream. You're living somebody else's dream. When you come forward this morning to receive Holy Communion, you are receiving the meal of practical dreamers. Spiritual food to nourish you in the pursuit of God's dream for your life. I have had the privilege of sitting with people who suddenly found themselves in jail. And I've had the privilege of sitting with people under deathbed. No one has ever told me so far, Father, I wish I'd made a whole lot more money. Nobody says that. They say, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids. Wish I had been a better spouse. Wish I had done something that really made a difference for somebody. I wish I'd really explored my faith more. I feel like I'm figuring out what life is about at the very end. Now sometimes it's beautiful, people on their deathbed. They're full of gratitude. But a lot of times they have regrets. And usually the regrets are related to settling for a lesser dream. Sometimes somebody else's dream. And the fact that they push God's dream aside. What's your dream? How does it fit into God's dream? What's your dream as a couple? What's your dream as a family? What's your dream for your business? Is it just to rack up money? Is it something bigger than that? What about your dream for your professional life? What about your dream for your retirement? Is it just, well, we'll travel and play golf? What's your dream? And how does it relate to God's dream? What are you investing in? And is what you're investing in your life right now, will it be worth anything when you get to the end of your life and look back? I'm not talking principally about stocks and bonds here. And God's dream cannot, 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 cannot be pursued by yourself. It just doesn't work that way. Get plugged into your local community of faith. If you don't have one, find one pronto. Find God's dreamers. Find God's dreamers. Some of them are in the church. Some of them aren't. Be around those people. And always be rich in good works. Yes, that means your dollars. Yes, that means your time. The saints and prophets, to quote a famous song, once dreamed a dream in times gone by, when hope was high and life was worth living. It still is, folks. Life is still worth living. 
Don't wait any longer to take hold of the life that is really life. Get practical. Start dreaming God's dream today. Amen. Amen.